Blog Talk Radio. Beatles fans, or good afternoon or evening, depending on where you're listening to us and when you're listening to us. Welcome back to episode 42 of I Saw the Beatles. Today we have a really special guest. Um, A lot of you may know who he is, or you may know his band, or you may even know songs that he's written that were recorded by other artists. Coming to us today is going to be Eric Bazilian, one of the founding members of the Hooters. Uh, For those who are not from the area of southeastern PA, um, back in the early 80s, the Hooters were the band of Philadelphia. Uh, Everybody knew who they were. Everybody had gone to see them or tried to go to see them. Um, They even made a video after signing with Columbia, um, a local video uh, at an old drive-in movie theater that is no longer around. But if we in in this county, Chester County, Pennsylvania, ever want to relive those memories of the drive-in theater, we can always, you know, find that Hooters video um, and go back and and, uh, relive that experience. Um, as we wait for Eric to call in, I, you know, I'll tell you, try to tell you a little more about uh, the Hooters. Now, I did just say that everybody tried to see them and everybody did see them, but I have to admit that even though I've lived in this area since 1976, I actually never saw the Hooters perform live. Um, it wasn't for a lack of trying. It was just a schedule, a scheduling issue um, all the time. It just never seemed to happen until, I guess, around 2006, there was a local radio uh, station that held an annual event. It was called the DeBella the Ball, and named DeBella for the uh, host who was uh, John DeBella, who still is in radio. Um, and Eric and the other founding member, Rob Hyman of the Hooters performed at this event. But as I said, I never got to actually see the entire band, the Hooters play. Now let's, I think we've got him on the line. Let's try and connect. Hello, Eric. Hello. Here we are. Here we are, and we're taping, so um, I don't know that you got to hear my introduction as I was talking about how the the Hooters were the Philly band in the early 80s. Everybody had to see the Hooters. Everybody knew who the Hooters were. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. You were the Philly band, but I never got to see you play. Um, well, are you from Philly? I've lived in Chester County since 1976. Okay, then you had no excuse, but that's okay. I'll give you a pass on this one. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it's funny because we're going to talk later about two upcoming shows and the fact and the fact that I'm actually busy that weekend. <laughs> So, you know, as I said, it wasn't it wasn't for a lack of trying to see the Hooters. It was just one of those, you know, just like in August when you're coming, the schedule's already written. But I did see you and Rob. Yeah, there's always October. I need to pencil that in. And I did see you and Rob at a Debella the Ball, and I believe it was in 2006. So. Okay. But I didn't get, I didn't get the full Hooter, Hooters experience. The full but shebang. Said, the the full shebang. Yep. Well, yeah. Hopefully, there's. I was going to say there's always time, but um, there's less and less of that. Yeah, yeah. As we get older, yeah. But but it, it's still on my list. It's still on my list. So the reason you're here, obviously, talking to us, is because you actually saw the Beatles perform live. I, I did. I saw them perform twice. Yeah. Uh, can you fill us in on that? You know, how old were you and, and what was going on in your life at the time? How did you get the tickets? I mean, tell us about this experience. Well, I'll go back to February 9th, 1964, you know, which I consider to have been the Big Bang in a lot of ways, not just musically, but culturally, I think, the whole world. It was the beginning of a of a of a of a paradigm shift that that um, you know continued on through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and is, despite the efforts of of many to to roll to roll those changes back, it's still shifted. Um, but yeah, I saw the Beatles and Ed Sullivan, and I was one of those of that generation that said that's what I want to do. And the next day, I started my first band with my friends Bernie and Paul, <laughs> and. Um, uh, I already I already could play enough guitar to get in trouble. So uh, you know, Bernie didn't play anything, so he was the drummer by default. <laughs> and then uh, Paul Paul played a little bit of guitar, and he ended up playing bass. Um, so when we uh, had our our sixth grade graduation party, when we graduated from elementary school, my mother kept mm-hmm. telling me that there was a surprise coming and um, a surprise guest, and this this gentleman showed up who I had never seen. And it turned out he was my cousin. He was my mother's second cousin. And he was a disc jockey in, um, in Virginia beach. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of like, I don't know if you remember high lit, uh, but he was sort yep. of like, you know, the it disc jockey down there. And he told me that the Beatles were coming to Baltimore in August and that he was going to get us, not only get us tickets, but that we could meet the band. Oh, you've got to be kidding! So, in all, isn't that crazy? And and um, <laughs> and so, you're how old? You know, I, I went away to uh, I I was at I was ten at the party, and I turned eleven that summer. So um, I came back from summer camp, which everyone did. And a few days later, we went to Baltimore for the day, and um, we hung out in the hotel. There was they were staying at the Holiday Inn. And we, we got as far as the elevator to go up to the press conference when we all the press were informed that, you know, there had been security. Um, security wasn't good enough, so they, so uh, the press conference was also – we didn't get to go up and meet them. 
But we did get to see them at the Baltimore Civic Center, which, you know, held like maybe 2,000 people. It was, you know, like probably the size of the Tower Theater. Wow. Wow. And and so, you know. That was number one. So so what does a so what does an eleven year old wanna be you know rock musician you know think as he's watching the Beatles live? Um, at, at that time he just thought, wow these guys can really play and sing you know contrary to the you know the, the, the popular belief at the time that you couldn't hear them about the screaming there was plenty of screaming but there was more music the music definitely won and I they were great I just remember. You know, every song they did sounded like the record because they could actually sing and play. Um, and you know, considering how 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 prehistoric the, the sound gear was at the time, it was amazing that you, that you could actually hear them. Uh, you know, I remember they did "I Want to Hold Your Hand" and "All My Loving" and and "A Hard Day's Night," which was had just come out. And um, yeah, they were they were the Beatles. There's a reason why they were the Beatles. Right, right. And so, when was the second time you got to see them? And by the uh, way, second time was when. They, let me let me ask yeah. you real quick. So, what was the name of this little band? Or if I shouldn't put put it that way, what was the name of the band you put together the next day after? We were called the Limestones, which um, came was my idea because John and Paul's first band together had been the Quarrymen. Oh. So oh, you talk about so early already. influence, early influence. Yeah. Wow, you went right, yeah. right and in I rem- there. I, I remember. <laughs> I just, rem- I remember. You know, I had this moment where I said, "We're the limestone because they were the quarrymen." Wow, you really and, um, wow. Yep. You, you really. Uh, and we actually, and we actually performed on the Gene London show. I don't know if that was still around when you moved to the area, but that was a, a you know, a, a local children's. TV show. It was on every morning. Oh, and, uh, we, fantastic! We, played on there. we did a hard, we did a hard day's night, and we did House of the Rising Sun. Oh, I guess there, I guess there's no video of this somewhere. You know, YouTube doesn't have it. You know, um, one of my bandmates in, in the band, Paul Curry, uh, passed away this year sadly. He um, he tried, and it turned out that when when um, the station moved their studios and they made an executive decision not to take all those tapes with them. So they're gone. There's no recording of it anywhere. I know it's very, nobody had VCRs at the time. So no, no home recordings of it. Oh, wow. So did this band stay together? I mean, was this, you know, how long was this? Um, we, we not really. I don't think we did much of anything after the Gene London show. Um, mm-hmm. But were you still together um, when you saw the Beatles the second time? No, no, that band okay. wasn't. Uh, Bernie and I were still together. By that time, Bernie had decided to play bass. Um, Paul was decided that he was a folk singer, and mm-hmm. um, and I was, uh, uh, um, yeah. So Bernie and I were we were still trying to find you know find the, the the magic fit you know we were looking for our Ringo and um, and John I guess at that point I wanted to be George at that point although George well I was going to say George wasn't my favorite Beatle but that wouldn't be true uh, they were all my favorite Beatles Paul was my first favorite Beatle and 
by the end of I Want to Hold Your Hand, they were, I realized that they were all my favorite Beatles. Right. But, yeah. But um, the, sec- so the second time I saw them was at JFK Stadium in August of 96, right, which was their last... I think that might have been one or two shows before their their final show at the Candlestick Park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by this point, so you're and, um, you're about thirteen years old, right? Yep, I was thirteen. Yep. And were um, you in a band at that time? Not not with a name. Again, you know, Bernie and I were still we were still hunting. It wasn't until I was we were maybe 15 that we finally sort of found the, the magic formula. We found that we found a, a great drummer and a great rhythm guitar player who could, who could really sing. And we formed our, our first real band, Evil Seed, which now okay. it sounds like a name for a hard rock band, but <laughs> there was no hard rock band. That was just the name we, we gave the band. But uh, no, I didn't have a real band at that point. You know, I had friends, you know, different friends that I would play with. Uh, but I, that was, that's when I was putting in my 10,000 hours as a guitar player. I, I literally would go home from school and instead of doing homework, I would just practice my guitar all day and all night. Yeah. Yeah, I can picture it. That's a, that, 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 that's, that's about right. <laughs> that's, that's what the kids did. You know, they, I, you know, yep. And we didn't have YouTube videos to show us how to do it. You know, you, you would take the, the needle on the phonograph and put it down at the beginning of the track and then find, find the guitar solo and listen to the first note and then listen to the first and second notes and so on and so forth and just figure out where they were on the fretboard. And by the time you were done, you knew that solo in and out. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I can, you know, I, I remember even, you know, back before all of this and everything, before you could find the lyrics to a song on the, on, you know, that you were listening to, I remember trying to write down the lyrics to songs doing the exact same thing. You just lifted that needle sure. up and down, up and down, up and down, trying yep. to get, you know, trying to write down lyrics. Um, yep. So again, so this is, a, this was the outdoor show. Uh, did you have good seats? I mean, what were your, you know. Nobody had good seats. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've seen. I'm sure you've seen the, the Shea Stadium show. There were no seats on the on the on the field. Okay. Wow. Yeah, the, stage, the stage was it was in the middle of the field, and everybody was sitting in the stands. I did have pretty good seats in the stands. Now that was an epic show because it wasn't just the Beatles. Uh, they had they had a number of opening acts, including the Ronettes, um, mm-hmm. Barry yep. and the Remains. And mm-hmm. the circle. It was yep. River Ball written by Paul Simon. Right, right. And um, I've had the lead Bob, singer Bobby, from from the, from. I've interviewed the the lead singer from the circle about his experience, and it's it's a okay. great story. And and Bobby Hebb also uh, who had uh, had a hit with Sonny. Mm-hmm. Now, did you enjoy the opening really band? I did. I'm sure they were. They were again. Everyone can play and sing. I mean, they were the Ronettes, for heaven's sake. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, see, that's my opinion. But a lot of people talk about the fact that I could have cared less, you know, oh, I could care less about who played. I don't even remember who I mean, played. Yeah, no, to me, it was all it was all music, and they were all really, really good. They could all play, and they could all sing, and they had real songs, and God, how spoiled we were. Mm-hmm. Now, let's, let's back up a second, because I just realized something when I asked you about your seats at JFK. Because you had the inn in Baltimore two years earlier, you, did your uh, did 
Did your mom's cousin was he able to get you good seats to that show? No, he in in Baltimore we had good seats. Yeah, not great seats. We were kind of in like the, the like the mezzanine, but we had uh-huh. a clear view, which is probably better. If we'd been on the floor, everybody would have been standing, and I was like a miniature person at that point, so I wouldn't really see anything. Mm-hmm. So did the young Eric Bazilian get up and dance to the music, or is he just standing there with his jaw on the floor? Um, uh, Ricky Bazilian, I was Ricky then. Uh, Ricky Bazilian okay. did not dance. Eric Eric Bazilian <laughs> very rarely dances. Um, <laughs> dancing is something that that civilians do. Uh, guitar players, as a rule, don't. <laughs> Uh, which is funny because one of your hit songs was "And We Danced." And um, we danced, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I, I can dance okay with a guitar. And yeah, I, I think, I think My that's kind of jealous. I'm sorry. My wife's a little bit jealous of the guitar. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, uh, so that wasn't. There's a there's another you know big story comes up later on. I've got about JFK, and we'll eventually get to that. Sure. Um, so so your bands so so you're you know 13. You see the Beatles the second time. What comes what happens after um, after that? I mean, how many bands were there before you you met Rob? Do you know? Um, well, let's see. Evil again. Evil Seed was the first band that came. After that, and then that band sort of broke up around the time I went off to Penn, and literally w- within a week, I met Rob, mm-hmm. um, um, and I joined, uh, you know, I joined Wax, which was the, the band he had then with with Rick Chertoff, who was, who was the drummer. Mm-hmm. Before Rick realized that he was a much better better producer than he was the drummer. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then that band broke up at the end of, and I had a, I had a band in college. My bands have always had wacky names. This band was called Cyclic Blowfield and His Funky Calypsos. <laughs> you weren't no going to make it easy for you. You weren't going to make it no, easy no. for anybody. And, and, <laughs> no, and it, and it was actually it was a really good band, and I, I'm still in touch with with some of the guys. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then, then you know, that band ended. I graduated right around the time that. that um, uh, Rob's uh, entity, Baby Grand, was ready to start recording. So I came back into into the fold, and then you know we did that through seventy eight, seventy nine, and then the Hooters happened. And who, whose idea was it so to I, call call you the Hooters? You know, I'm not sure which of us actually said, "Hey, that would be a great band name." But what happened was um, we were doing our first demo recording first batch mm-hmm. of songs we had written for this new band that we were going to have. And um, we, were, we had borrowed a melodica mm-hmm. for, uh, for a couple of the tracks, um, which seemed like a cool thing to do because we were kind of heavy on ska and reggae. And there was a, a reggae artist named Augustus Pablo, whose entire thing was that he would just play a melodica over reggae tracks. So we thought, hey, that would be cool to try. So mm-hmm. we brought the melodica into our little demo session and the... Um, recording engineer said, hey, give me a level on that hooter. Oh. So at that moment, oh. the instrument became became the hooter. Mm-hmm. And it probably was, wasn't more than a couple of days when one of us said, hey, why don't we call the band the hooters? Because we, we wanted a plural noun 
It mm-hmm. wasn't a household object, you know, so that each, every member of the band could say, hey, I am a Beatle, I am a Rolling Stone, I am a Whaler. Ah. We became the Hoover. Yeah. Now, little ah. did we know that, now, little did we know that six months later, Steve Martin was going to do his his uh, infamous Saturday Night Live bit about women's breasts and how they should always be called Hooters. Yeah. Or that a couple of years later, um, some 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 clever person in people in Clearwater, Florida, would start a restaurant that would become bigger than the band. But so it goes. And and it is because of outlast, you. Go ahead. Um, and we will outlast the restaurant chain. There, yes, you will. And it is because of your band that I actually do own a melodica. I cannot play it. Right. I've owned it since the '80s. I cannot play it. I've never been able to play it, <laughs> but I have it. <laughs> I have it because of you guys. I won't say you. I won't say you just haven't tried hard enough. I'll just say you haven't tried right enough. Anyone can play a melodica, even if you just play one single note and enjoy the sound of the vibration against your lips and against your teeth and your body. Uh, I have to. I have to. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll dig it out wherever this thing is. It's, it's around. As dig I said, it I've had it. And just, I've, just, just. I mean, listen. Don't try to play like, the Hooters stuff because that's crazy complicated. I just you yeah. know, play one. Play Mary had a little lamb, and you'll be really happy. So will Mary <laughs> and her lamb. Yeah, and I'll do it in front of my granddaughters. So they'll laugh at me. Um, <laughs> the so so. The Hooters, as I said um, before, you came on. They, you guys were the, you were the band. You were the Philadelphia band. I mean, you know, yeah, we, were the Beatles, we were the Beatles of Philadelphia. There was, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. As I said, I, I had opportunities to see you, but it just never played out. I was literally in a venue one time at some rock festival at the convention center in Philadelphia, and me and my boyfriend had to leave early, and you guys were going to be playing. And I mean, it, it never happened. So. You end up signed with Columbia in 1984, and yep. your your album comes out in May 1985. Now, here's where we yep. get back to JFK in 1985. Two months later, a um, couple days before my 21st birthday, so I was busy celebrating, um, is Live Aid. And now... If you had to, if you had to say what put the Hooters on the map, would you say it was signing of the big contract with Columbia, or do you think it was the appearance on Live Aid? Uh, I would say it's it's everything. I, I, I couldn't isolate one one thing. Uh, yes, getting signed enabled us to make the record. Um, I would say Live Aid certainly helped, especially internationally. Because um, mm-hmm. a lot of people weren't awake at nine o'clock in the morning to see us play, but in, in Europe, it was mm-hmm. in the afternoon, prime time, and a lot of people who come to our shows in Germany saw us do it, and we danced in Johnny B and I'm Johnny B and uh, all you zombies on Live Aid. Okay, but I'd say, now, I mean, you'll also you also have to you know credit MTV. You know, those videos were were ubiquitous at that time. MTV was in its prime, and we happened to be there for it. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Now, there's the question. I mean, I, you can even read this on on Wikipedia that you know how 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 did you get opening act of Live Aid in Philadelphia? Um, I mean, there's a quote on Wikipedia saying Bob Geldof said 
who the F are the Hooters? <laughs> you know? You know what? I, prob- I probably would have said the same thing. Yeah, but uh, I, mean, I mean, he didn't—he didn't know who you were. I mean, this is his gig. I mean, I've seen Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. Even Queen had trouble getting in, you know, at the last minute. How does the Hooters yeah. get into being Live Aid? Well, the fact that it was in Philadelphia, the fact that Larry Magid was, you know, the legendary promoter, Larry Magid, Electric Factory Concerts. The fact mm-hmm. that he was the local promoter for the gig. The fact that he liked us. I've known Larry since I was 14, and he used to throw me out of the electric factory because I was too young because there was a curfew in Philadelphia at the time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, he liked us. I think, you know, our, our, our manager probably put some pressure on, on him, but I think I think the stars just aligned for us. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, was, it was absolutely fitting that a hometown band should, should open the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it was it disappointing that you didn't make the video? Yeah, it was. Yeah, of course it was. You know, um, it's funny <laughs> about that because a week after the the, the, the DVD came out and um, and we were egregiously omitted, we played mm-hmm. a show in Germany and our opening act was none other than Bob Geldof. Yeah. <laughs> and he avoided us. I mean, I did. I I did. Passed by him in the hallway of the of the club once, and he sheepishly smiled and looked away. Oh wow! Have you ever talked I, to him? I think since? he knows. No, no, no. I think he knows he should come in. <laughs> you would you would think for I a guy who, who was a one hit wonder, <laughs> you know, would would be rooting for the little guy, but you know. But again, you know, you, you can only fit so much on a DVD. And, mm-hmm. you know, who are you going to put on, Queen or the Hooters? Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, I, I, I bear no ill will. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. I mean, you know, look what it did for you. Look what it honestly did did for the Hooters. I mean, yeah. you know, as you said. Absolutely. Major, no, so, um, I get it. go ahead. No, again, it wasn't an isolated event. It was it was just the, the combination of Philadelphia Radio, mm-hmm. um, the promotional machine in Columbia Records, MTV, and Live Aid, and the fact that we had some bona fide hit songs. Yeah, you did. You did. Um, and, the fact, I, and the fact that we are that we were and and are now more than ever a kick-ass band live. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and is the um, I would assume that, you know, let's, I'm kind of jumping around here and I'll get back to the story uh, timeline, but I would assume that, you know, when all these, these shows, you know, it, of the new, new millennium have come out with, you know, based around zombies, yep. that your song, All You Zombies, has to have just, you know, been a huge request from from TV and movies and stuff. That that song, you know, that is the zombie song. It, it, it really is. What well, they did use it in I Zombie that uh, that series was on. Uh, mm-hmm. We tried to get them to use it on uh, on The Walking Dead, but they said it was too close to was too obvious. Yeah, too obvious. I mean, you can't be too obvious, you know. <laughs> there's one more season of there's there's one more season of The Walking Dead coming, so maybe they'll use it. I don't know. 
I'll, you know, I do PR. I'll, I'll contact them. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try to push it on them. Um, all right, let's get back to the timeline. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so what was it like? You know, you're, 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 you're just hitting your stride. I mean, you, as you said, it was the perfect storm of MTV, getting your contract, live aid. I mean, you know, for, for this hometown band, what is it like being backstage at live aid? Um, it was, it was pretty chaotic. Um, and it was hot. And actually <laughs> I stayed for a couple of hours and then I, I went home and watched most of this on TV. You know what's funny about that is that my husband did the same thing in the audience. He went home yeah. and watched it on TV. He said it was just too hot. You just, you know, he was standing there in yeah. the field. He said, "Yeah, went home to the air conditioner." Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, yeah, that's what I did. And then I went, and then I, I went back down for the finale. Oh, cool, cool. Would your your bandmates do the same, or they some of them hang out, or what? They all, they you know, all hung out. they all hung out. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I, I think I think I made the right move. I, yeah, and the thing is, I was there for the sound check the day before, so I got to see Nick and Tina rehearse for endless hours on stage. Oh, yeah. Did you get? To, I mean, did was it? Were these? Were there a lot of people there? Uh, bands and stuff that played, or you know, people that you wanted to meet, idols and stuff. You know, as you said, you're just coming up. You know, or just um, just hitting your stride and you know your stardom. You know, I didn't want to meet them like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to because it was su- it was just such a crazy, chaotic thing. And uh, you know, I, I want to I, I want to meet one of my heroes. I want to meet them in a situation where we're equals. You know, in a situation mm-hmm. where you know where where we can chill. You know, and I've I've been really lucky. I got to meet three of the Beatles on on equal terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of which, that was where we were moving next to 1987 mm-hmm. when the, the Hooters get to play the Top of the Pops in England. Yeah. And now, tell, tell us about that. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the surprise here, but go ahead and, and tell us about playing Top of the Pops. Okay, well, we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, doing a gig, and we get a phone mm-hmm. call saying, guys, um, your next gig is canceled. You're getting on a plane tomorrow and going to London because satellite is a hit and you're playing on top. So, okay. Wow. Who doesn't want to go to London in, 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 in October? So, right. Mm-hmm. We, um, was it October? Um, I don't have Did you say it was October? I don't know. No, I don't no, know. I don't know. I just have, I just have, probably I just later. have 87. Mm-hmm. Okay. Probably, yeah, it's probably December. So we, so we go to London, um, and then, um, um, you know, we have our jet lag recovery day. And then the next day we, we get in a, in a, in a car with our, our label guy and going over to the show, I ask him, so who else is on the show? And he says, um, uh, Chapau, who had that hit a little bit of heart and soul mm-hmm. and somebody else. And oh, and Paul McCartney, and I'm like, my jaw drops. Like, oh my god, oh my god. Now, well, now, you know, now, I'm not are you, this is... now, are you all in the same car? The whole band is riding in the same when he when he tells you this, or is it just? I, I, it wasn't just me. It was, it was either the whole band or we were split up three into two cars. 
Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, this, I can picture just silence, just suddenly dead silence. Paul McCartney's playing, and then you're yeah, just like, yeah. it, was, it was a moment. So, you know, the, and the way the way Top of the Pops worked was you would go in the afternoon, have mm-hmm. a rehearsal, mm-hmm. um, and Top of the Pops was a, was a playback show. So all right. the music that you would play to the, to the recording, you know, you would lip sync. Uh, right. You still had to have a rehearsal for the, for the cameras and everything. So we walk in to the studio, and there on stage in the middle of the room is Paul McCartney with Linda playing a, a, a electric piano and a band, and the record is playing, but their amps are on, and they're playing along and singing live to the record. Because that's oh. the way Paul wanted to do it. <laughs> wow. So, so, you know, we we stand there and, and gape at them, <laughs> and they finish their rehearsal. And afterwards, you know, everyone sort of rushes the stage to meet all the crew, you know, everyone in the, basically in the building. And I stand back because I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, I get and that. finally, so finally, and it clears a bit, and he starts walking towards me. So I walk up to him, extend my hand, say, Hi, Paul. I'm Eric from... Oh, from the Hooters. Yeah, I recognize you from your video. Oh, Linda, come meet Eric from the Hooters. Oh, wow. Oh, that must have been... That must have been a fabulous moment. I, that, yeah, that was definitely in the, high up on the list of moments that didn't suck. <laughs> that so that, that, we, we that just, had to be great to know that Paul Paul knows who you are by sight, you know? Um, yeah, I'm... Yeah, yeah, I mean, what's better, what's better than that? So we hang out, and then he invites me to come back to his dressing room and just hang out. So, and, you know, meanwhile, you know, I've got my list of questions. If I ever meet Paul, like, you know, what guitar did you play the Taxman solo on? Or how did you get the idea for this or that? And he answered them. He answered them all. He was like, he was like happy to answer them. It's funny because I just, I just watched the, um, the Rick Rubin interview with him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it, but if you haven't, not yet. You've got yet. to. Oh my oh, okay. god! I can't believe you haven't seen it. It's. I mean, I will watch that numerous times. But it was it was sort of like that, you know, the, because you know Rick is so enthusiastic in his questions, and Paul is so open and forthcoming with his answers, and it was really the same thing. He just he you know he was happy to talk about. It. He was proud of what he'd done, and mm-hmm. and equally humble. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you, um, you know, yeah, yeah, well, you, you got to understand, though, you know, here you are and you're talking about this. And at the same time, my, my thought here is here I have a list of notes next to my computer as I'm talking to you. Right. And some of these questions yep. are not about you and the Beatles. What it is, is it's like, right. wow, I've got Eric Bazillion on the line and I have <laughs> questions, Eric. <laughs> I have some questions I want to ask you. And so, okay. so I, I admit that, you know, here you are being as cordial. So you, you understand you are, you are being just like Paul today. And you are, you are, <laughs> you are very, very generously answering my questions that even, as I said, even I try to be the, like Paul, I try to be like Paul every day. There you go. There Are you a vegan or a vegetarian? I am. Oh, I'm vegan. Wow, very good. I my son's a vegan too. So, yep. No, I've been I've been for I think going on six years now. And actually, even before my family became vegan, 
our favorite cookbook was Linda McCartney's um, On the Road Vegetarian Cookbook. Oh wow! You know, I've I've wanted to get that. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look into that, and maybe later today I'll watch the Paul McCartney interview. Um, so you you got to. So when did you meet the other? You you met two other Beatles, right? Real quick, when we yeah. Met. Well, we went. So we came back to London in March of '88 to do mm-hmm. a. Um, it was it was called Friday Night Live, and the mm-hmm. host was a British comedian named Ben Elton. So mm-hmm. uh, for, for that show, we did the um, we did the the uh, rehearsal one night, and then the show was the, the next night. Mm-hmm. So during the rehearsal, someone told us that George Harrison was in the building doing one, doing one of the talk shows. So after the rehearsal, every, after the rehearsal, everyone in the band and crew, except for me and Rob, decided that rather than take the elevator, they were going to take the stairs and comb the building and try to get a George sighting. So Rob and I are standing alone at the elevator, and I hear the voice from behind me, that clear voice saying, Hey, aren't you the hooters? Hi, I'm George. Love your music. Everything else today is crap. Oh, another moment. Oh, my God. Wow. Another moment. And and Olivia was with him, and he again, he couldn't have been nice. Um, I didn't ask him questions because it just was, didn't feel like didn't feel appropriate. Um, right. And the rest mm-hmm. of the band, the rest of the band found us, and we had our little photo op. And at one point, he said he asked us if we're playing. I said, and we said, yeah, we're playing in Guildford the night after tomorrow. And he said, Guildford, I'll get Eric. We'll come. Oh. So for one night, we had we one night we had George Harrison and Eric Clapp our get on our guest list. He did not get Eric, and they didn't come, but. But still, you oh, got um, to meet George. But, but still, I mean, this has to be be an abs- for the second time. I mean, you must be you know pinching yourself for the second time to have a Beatle say, realize who you are, and I mean, you know, know that they're that listening. That was pinchable. That was really pinchable. <laughs> no, he was yeah. great, and and we, you know we talked we talked for a while about music and just you know, you know. Kind of like I, the conversation I have now about uh, you know songwriting and and musicianship are are threatened species. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's all electronic these days. Um, and the nothing, third, I've got nothing against electronics. I think electronics is great if it's properly used. It's mm-hmm. just that nobody's using it properly. Right. Yeah, and and the fact is is that you know when you look back at bands like the Beatles and realize these guys played their instruments live, they did their harmonies live. You had to be yeah. on. There was no fixing I mean, it. You know, no, no, and there was no there was there were no backing tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to go back to 1966, one of the one of the most memorable moments of that show. I mean, they probably played 35 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. They did Paperback Writer. Now, the vocals on Paperback Writer are spectacular. And on the record, um, there are three tracks of all three of them singing. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, you know, a real choral arrangement. They did it live with just the three of them, and it sounded like the record. Yeah. Yeah, and they could, I mean, you just, it's so hard to find, you know, that kind of talent, and that's not what we're hearing on the radio these days, Um, and it'd be really nice to be able to get it back. Um, 
you know, as I said, uh, a band with instruments and vocals is talent, you know. And songs. And, all songs. And to be able to write songs, a band that could write their songs, play their instruments, sing their harmonies is, you know, it's a lost art almost, you know. Um, I mean, there are people out there doing it. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a total curmudgeon. There are, mm-hmm. there are great artists out there who are really trying hard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, part of the problem is I think the Beatles used up 95% of all the available songs in the English language and with our 12 tone uh, music system. <laughs> The rest of us, we've just been, you know, and, and you know, Springsteen and the Who and the Stones, you know, used up five of that those percent. So we're kind of calling off the last one percent at this point. <laughs> That's an interesting way way to to put it. So the third Beatle. Third when Beatle. Okay. Third I Beatle. I I'm guessing it was 2005. I was in Los Angeles and I was um, I was writing songs with Mark Hudson. Mm-hmm. He's a legendary songwriter, producer. Written, I think Love in an Elevator was his with Aerosmith. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Living on the Edge. Um, just a wildly talented and, and charismatic, wacky guy. And um, mm-hmm. he he was, at the time, he was Ringo's collaborator and music, musical director. Mm-hmm. Ringo's band leader. And so he was rehearsing with Ringo in the mornings and then coming to his studio with me in the afternoons. And mm-hmm. the first day I was there, he, he said to me, you know, I had this conversation with Ringo today. He asked me where I was going and I told him, uh, you know, I was going to write with you and I told him, you know, what you had done. And he said, Oh, just pick you'd fancy having a write with me then. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Ringo? Come on. Yep. Yep. I'll, you know, I'll change my ticket. I'll, I'll stay. Hell yeah. So, uh, yeah, okay. So the next day he came and he said, yeah, so um, um, Ringo says maybe he can meet you towards the end of the week. um, And then if you stay Saturday and Sunday, we we can write through the weekend. Okay, great. So the next day in the morning, I I get in my car, my rental car, and I was about to go visit a friend out out in the valley. Mm-hmm. gotten on the 405 freeway and I get a call from Mark. Um, listen, Ringo is leaving Friday and he wants to meet you now. Can you meet, can you meet me at the studio? <laughs> um, so, you know, you couldn't really do a, a U-turn on the 405 outside of, you know, a Liam Neeson action film. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I got up the next day, I turned around, went back to the studio and, um, and literally five minutes after I walked in, in comes Mark with Ringo and Barbara Bach. Oh, wow. And Ringo, walk, Ringo walks over and hugs me. What Ringo does, that's, that's, that's the guy that Ringo is. And uh, we're just, no we're just hanging out and get talking. Um, at that time, you know, he would have given me an autograph and he would have, I could have taken my picture with him, but I, it didn't even occur to me. Because again, mm-hmm. you know, we we met as equals. You know, if he okay. asked my, I would have given him my autograph. Right. Um, no, he was curious. He was curious about the band and about our influences, and you know, and then, um, so Ringo and I are standing there talking, and Mark's talking with with, with Barbara, 
Mm-hmm. Barbara didn't, I guess, didn't know who I was. So I hear over here, Mark explained to me, Eric's band is the Hooters, and he wrote, um, What If God Was One Of Us? And Ringo he overhears and he says, What? This short? Because, you know, Ringo's got a thing about his height. Right. Uh-huh. Right? Like, what if God was one of us? What? So short? <laughs> Which was up there with A Hard Day's Night and Tomorrow Never Knows. That was a Ringoism. Yeah. And so, and then at one point there was a drum kit there because Mark had, you know, a, a, a Ringo set of Ludwig drums. At one point, Ringo sits down, starts playing drums, and I pick up a guitar and we start jamming. Oh, and anybody catch it? On uh, tape? Just us in the room. Uh, no, you know, again, no smartphones at this point. Oh, yeah. But nobody knows to hit the no, play so, button. So no huh? photos. <laughs> yeah, none of that. Nope. None of that. But I've got it. I've got it in my recorder. Ah, ah, good for you. Um, so and you know, you you just roll with these interviews really well. So you brought up the song "One of Us" yep, that you wrote. Um, you wrote it for Joan Osborne, or she she found it. Um, I wrote it while we were. We were writing songs for her record. Oh, okay. We were getting together every day. We were get, getting every t- getting together every day in a little room above Rob's garage. Me, mm-hmm. Rob, Rick, Charles, and Joan, and we were writing songs. And um, and um, my my new girlfriend had just moved home from Sweden. And mm-hmm. um, uh, a week into a week after she moved in, she uh, one night she we watched actually. We watched the making of Sergeant Pepper, a documentary mm-hmm. that with George Martin sitting at the four track console explaining how they made Sergeant Pepper on a on on a four track recording machine. And, and when it ended, okay. uh, she said she said to me, you know, four track recording, what's that? And that's that's what I had. That's what everybody had at that time: a four track uh-huh. cassette recorder, a Tascam, a Tascam um, one twenty two. And mm-hmm. she said, okay, oh, record something for me. So. I'd been playing a guitar riff all day, so I made a little track. I had a little drum machine and a sequencer, and I, I made a little instrumental track around that guitar riff, and then she said, sing it, and that's what I sang. And, that, um, that was it? There was no she, inspiration behind the that, song? I mean, that that was my question. Was What was what was the inspiration for the song? Well, there, the, the inspiration was her asking me to show her how I how I record something, and then... I heard the voice of Brad Roberts from the Crash Test Dummies in my head singing the first line. I heard mm-hmm. him singing, if God had a name. So I rolled mm-hmm. with it. I hit record and started singing, and that's literally what came out. And if so you're wondering what happened to that new girlfriend, I'm. if you're wondering what happened to that new girlfriend, I'm looking at her lying on a float in the middle of the river up here in Yadavsa, Sweden. We've been married 26 years, August 5th. Wow, congratulations. Um, yep. So, yeah, so that was my question was, what was the inspiration? So I guess it was the, the soon-to-be wife at the time. and the it, crash was just, it, was just, it was just a song that was waiting to be written. You know, I, I wasn't thinking at all as I was singing it. I didn't even write it down. I just sang it. Uh, I remember, you know, feeling like, this, like I was in free fall in outer space. And, you know, listening back to it, it was like, 
okay, this is me in a nutshell. This is my entire worldview in, in, in a four-minute song. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the next day, you know, I went back to our, our session, and um, and um, I, I played the song. You know, we took a break in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I played the song for, for everybody, and, mm-hmm. and Rick turned off in his... In our creative genius, uh, heard it and said, "Joan, do you think you could sing that?" And he didn't say, "Do you want to sing it, or do you think that would be a good song for the album?" He said, "Do you think you could sing that?" And she said, "Yeah, of course I can sing it. Write out the lyrics." I wrote up the lyrics, ran through the melodies, and we recorded a guitar and vocal direct to a cassette. We listened back, and I started practicing the Grammy speech that I never got to give. Yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a wonderful song. Did you get any? Did you get what was the feedback from the um, religious community? I should say, you know, or the more you know fanatics. Oh, unfortunately, our call has dropped from Eric, and we won't be able to to anymore. Um, I don't know if he'll call back. What I do want to mention is is that he will be. Uh, the Hooters are coming back to the Philadelphia area. Uh, you heard us mention it earlier. He'll be, they'll be playing um, two shows. Um, one's in Quakertown, and one is at a, a, an outdoor venue, I believe, um, in New Jersey. The dates will be uh, August 13th and 14th. Uh, look it up um, online. You can find. Um, you can either go to ericbazillion.com or hootersmusic.com and just look at the tour dates. There'll be another date they'll be playing in October, uh, you know, that um, if you can't make it for that August weekend that I also can't make it because I'm, I'm busy and didn't know about these concerts ahead of time. Um, thank you, Eric, for being a guest on our show. I you answered all my questions. I had just run out of questions and we were just about to talk. I was just about to ask him about all of his live shows. So everybody, when you get a chance, you know, look up Hooters, HootersMusic.com, Eric Bazillion. Thank you so much. I love the interview, EricBazillion.com. And we'll be t- talking to you all next week. And we're going to play out, you know, our usual music, Cliff Hillis, who happens to be a really good friend of Eric's.